If you have your Bible, I want you to go to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, we're going to begin in verse 40. We're continuing in a series called Jesus Revealed. Now, we're in a season in, in more mainline religious circles. Um, you, you would hear of, about the season that we're in from Ash Wednesday to the celebration of the resurrection called Lent. Lent is an old English word. Uh, it means length. The reason it means length and why it applies to this season is because the days start getting longer. Spring arrives. And that's the time when the northern hemisphere would celebrate, begin to celebrate the resurrection of Christ. But the church was in its infancy these days. They were, they were meant for something specific. It wasn't just a religious routine. It was so that every person could once again renew their commitment to Christ and come into a fresh season of spiritual vitality, of coming alive to know Christ. And, and so Christ, in the days walking up to his resurrection, was giving revelation of who he is and what he was, what he was all, all about. And, and as he announced to them, listen, I am the Christ and I'm going to suffer many things at the hand of the chief rulers and, and princes. Then he begins to teach them. Then he begins to unfold who he really is. So in order for us to experience this renewal that I believe God intends for us in this season, we need to look back once more. Many of you have been had relationship with God for a long time, but we need to look back and take a fresh look at Jesus. So we're spending a few weeks in this series called Jesus Revealed, and today I want to speak a message called The Giver of Life. The giver of life. And Luke chapter 8 is a fascinating chapter. It's wonderful because uh, what, what you find there is the most important parable. By the way, I don't even know that most people know that there is a most important parable. This parable is the parable that says, Jesus says, if you don't understand this one, how will you under, not understand all of the rest of them? And it's the parable of the sower. So that's in Luke chapter 8. And then we, we, we find that the deliverance of the demoniac, the man who had a legion of demons inside of him, is delivered and he is changed and he goes one day from being a demoniac to being an evangelist to 10 cities. In one encounter with Jesus, that's Luke 8. And now, after leaving this glorious moment where this man used to be screaming, cutting himself naked, living in the tombs, now he's set free and now he's an evangelist. Um, you know, now Jesus now comes back into his region. He's coming back. And this is where we're going to find a story that's inter interwoven between a man named Jairus and a woman who has been bleeding. So we're going to look at this carefully, and we're going to find some things out about Jesus that I believe he wants to speak to us here today. It says this at verse 40, it says, So it was when Jesus returned, the multitude welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And behold, there was a man named Jairus. He was a ruler of the synagogue, and he fell down at Jesus' feet and begged him to come to his house. For he had, only, he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. But as he went, the multitudes thronged him. 
Now a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years, who had spent all her livelihood on physicians, could not be healed by any, but came behind and touched the border of his garment, and immediately her flow of blood stopped. And Jesus said, Who touched me? When all denied it, Peter and those with him said, Master, multitude strong and press you, and you say, Who touched me? But Jesus said, Somebody touched me, for I perceive power going out from me. Now when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared to him in the presence of all the people the reason she had touched him and how she had been healed immediately. And he said to her, daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone came from the ruler of the synagogue's house saying to him, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher. But when Jesus heard it, he answered him saying, do not be afraid, only believe and she will be made well. When he came into the house, he permitted no one to go in except Peter, James, and John and the father and mother of the girl. Now all wept and mourned for her, but he said, do not weep. She is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him knowing that she was dead, but he put them all outside took her by the hand and called, saying, Little girl, arise. Then her spirit returned, and she, immediate, she arose immediately, and he commanded that she be given something to eat. And her parents were astonished, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Here's a couple of things that, that you're, you're, you're going to uh, need to understand about Jesus in this story as he's coming back from this miraculous uh, journey that he has been on. He is, he's coming back and he steps off the boat and the multitudes meet him. And then there comes this man named Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue, who has a real need. It's a dire need. His only daughter is dying. She is, she is not well. She is sick. And, and, and he knows that he needs a miracle. Now, what I love about this story is that in the midst of the multitude, Jesus is available. Aren't you grateful that there may be lots of needs, there may be lots of, of, of things going on, there may be people who are, who, are, who are trying to, who are just celebrating what God is doing, but when you have a need, you need to get this in your heart and spirit that Jesus is available. He's not afar off. He's not thinking about somebody else. And you know, listen, I've, I've heard more than enough people think, you know what? Oh, I don't know if I want to bother Jesus with my problems. I don't know if I, you know, he's got bigger things to solve over in Ukraine. You know, I don't know if I want to bring him my issue. Here's what you need to know. There's a multitude of people, two, over 2 billion people on this planet pressing into Jesus, and he's still available to you. He is still available to you. And here's the other thing, he is on his way. It's one thing to know he's available, but it's another thing altogether to know he's coming to your house, that he's coming to your situation, that he wants to step in and step right into the middle of the brokenness, right into the middle of the mess, right into the middle of the things. I mean, after all, this guy is Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue. I mean, if there's anybody that should have it all together in his house, blessed because he's serving God, and yet here he's broken, he's the ruler of the synagogue, people 
people are thinking, why is there brokenness in the synagogue ruler's house? He doesn't care. He doesn't think about it. He just knows, I need to get Jesus into my house. And so Jesus starts to come on the way. He's on the way. He's not only available, but he's coming to you. He's coming to you. And let me just say, when you get into this process and you see other people starting to get answered prayer and they're starting to experience new life, man, uh, maybe, maybe you're married, you know, here today. And, and uh, uh, you know, I, I know a lot of women who, who, who've gone through this, man, women who have prayed for their husbands for years and years and years. And suddenly when their husband gets a spiritual awakening, they go into a nosedive. Why? Because the very thing they've been praying for got answered, and now they don't know what to do with themselves, and their husband's been set on fire. He got an answer to prayer, and now what am I going to do? I just want to tell you, Jesus is not distracted. He can work in somebody else's life and work in your life at the very same time. That's what we see in this story. There are miracles that are intertwined on purpose. They're intertwined on purpose. So don't just think, don't get mad at God when, you're, when, you're, when your kids get set on fire and you've been like, man, I've been dragging them to church, waking them up, you know, doing everything I could do to get them into the house of God. And now all they do is beg me to come to volume students. They just beg me to get them to Calvary kids. And I, I want to take a week off. And they're like, why aren't you coming to church? They're talking to you. Get up out of the bed. You're like, I want to rest. No, get up out of the bed. I want to go and get in the house of God. And the very thing you've been praying for starting to backfire on your comfort. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. Jesus is not distracted. He can work miracles in everybody's life all at the same time. And I love this. Jairus was the ruler of the synagogue. But he needed somebody To show him that it was possible to walk in what Jesus was about to walk, ask him to walk in. He needed someone to show him. He didn't show up thinking he needed someone to show him. But he needed someone to show him. And these two couldn't be more opposite. We have Jairus the celebrated ruler of the synagogue. He is in church and around the things of God all of the time. And then you have a woman with the issue of blood. From the moment she started bleeding, she was declared by that same ruler, unclean, don't come back to church. According to Jewish tradition and law, they would say, as long as you're bleeding, you're unclean, you have to stay outside the camp. For 12 years, he's been in the house, and for 12 years, she's been outside the house, 
And God uses a miracle in somebody's life who was outside the house to get a miracle to someone who was inside the house. And for all you Bible nerds, you should love the fact that the daughter who needs a miracle is 12 years old, and this woman has been bleeding for 12 years. Is anything in the Bible by mistake? No, it's not. 12, which in, in the Bible represents apostolic order. It means the order of God. 12 is the number of order within Scripture. And so suddenly, this guy has something out of order in his house, and it takes someone who has something out of order in her body to show him that Jesus will set things in order if we do what he tells us to do. So, let's find out what Jesus said to him. It's from this passage, verse 49 and 50. It says, and while he was speaking, someone came uh, from the ruler of the synagogue's house saying to him, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher. But when Jesus heard it, he answered him saying, do not be afraid, only believe and she will be made well. Do not be afraid, only believe and she will be made well. Here in this short statement, Jesus is actually giving us the prescription to how to get positioned for supernatural life that comes from him. This is how we position ourselves so that God will move in a powerful way. So let's, let's, let's look at each one of these. First thing, if you want to get positioned for God's supernatural power to move in your life, here's how you do it. You are going to have to reject fear. Do not fear. Do not fear. Uh, as I was studying this and laying out all of the passages that dealt with fear, there were far, far too many to, to list in, in one sermon. You could do entire weeks and sermon series on how God speaks to, uh, to his, his sons and daughters about, about fear. But one of the most clear ones is from 2 Timothy chapter 1 where he says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear. What are we learning here? That fear is not merely an emotion, but there is also a demonic oppressive spirit called fear that will show up to try to intimidate believers. He's trying to intimidate believers. Why? Because if I can get them into fear, I can keep them out of their calling. But what Paul does under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he says, God did not give you that spirit of timidity, that spirit of fear, but he gave you a spirit of power. And that power, that's dunamis, that's dynamite, miracle working power. He says, you don't have to fear that, that Satan's in control of the results. When God gives you a spirit that says, listen, even if it requires a miracle, that's what will show up when my spirit and life show up. Then he says what? He says, I give you the spirit of power and of what? Love. Why does he give us the spirit of love while addressing fear? Because the Bible says that perfect love casts out fear. Because fear has to do with judgment. And let me just tell you, I've got no fear of dying. I've got no fear of the grave. I've got no fear when it comes to people talking about the last hour. None. 
Why? Because I know I'm never going to die. I have the eternal life of, of Christ in me. And though this body may go the way of the grave, I will live forever filled with the resurrection life of God. Perfect love. Cast out all fear because fear has to do with torment. I'm, not, I'm going for, to be forever with my father and the only son. I'm not afraid. The devil will be totally confused if you just grab hold of this one truth. Why are they not afraid? Because Jesus said, do not fear the one who could, who could merely just take this life. You should fear the one who could take this life and then afterwards cast us into eternal, the eternal flame. That's the one you should fear. When, when God tries to bring people into a new place... We have to address fear because we are way more comfortable with the familiar than we are with the fulfilled promises of God. We're way more comfortable with the familiar, but when God gives us a promise, that means we're going to have to shift and move. Now, three times in Joshua chapter 1, Joshua was the leader that followed Moses. Everybody but Joshua and Caleb dies in the wilderness who was 20 years and older. They all died. So here they are, the two patriarchs, with everybody else who's grown up in the wilderness. And God says, now's the time when I'm going to bring you into the promised land, the land that flows with milk and honey, the land that belongs to you. I am going to fulfill the promise. Here's what you are going to have to do. He says it once, twice, and here the third time in Joshua 1.9. This is what he says. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You you see, fair fear will paralyze you in the wilderness of the familiar. But God is saying to you, church, be courageous and risk it all to have the king manifest in supernatural ways in your life. Listen, it's time that we begin to step out in faith and say, God, if you've said it in your word, I'm going to start to put these things into practice. And I've got to do some things that are, that are way different. But if you stay in fear, here's what you're going to do. I'm going to stay paralyzed in my wilderness. Wilderness. That's where Joshua was. He was paralyzed in the wilderness. And God comes three times, do not be afraid. Take courage, take courage, take courage. You're made for this. I love what Psalm 34 says. He says, I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all of my fears. You say, is it possible to live a fear-free life? It is. If you will seek the Lord, God is saying, do not be afraid. Now, Jairus uh, watched an unclean woman overcoming fear by getting close enough to touch Jesus in the presence of the ruler of the synagogue. You don't understand. We're just a bunch of Gentiles. We're like, well, what's the big deal? Here is a woman that if she touches a rabbi, he immediately is supposed to remove himself from service and the camp because he will be ceremonially unclean. And do you know 
the sheriff in that region who was to enforce Jewish law, his name, Jairus. I'm bleeding, I'm broken, they're on the way to the, they're, they're on the way to the preacher's house. Jesus is going to the preacher's house. Now, everything about the rule and the culture is saying, stay away from those holy guys. Matter of fact, if you pressed into the depth of, 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 of Jewish law, this woman could have been stoned to death for what she was about to do. So don't think for a moment that this woman with the issue of blood didn't have to overcome some fear. She did. And what did she do? She pressed through the crowd, pressed past her fears, and said, I have to risk it all to touch the hem of his garment. And when she did, she got a miracle. And in that moment, she taught the leader of a synagogue a lesson instead of him teaching her a lesson. Suddenly, when someone overcome, overcame their fears to touch Jesus, he moved in their life. I want to give you this second way to position yourself for the supernatural life of Jesus. And it, it is very simple. It is only believe. That's what Jesus says. Do not be afraid, only believe. Now, in the Greek, this is interesting. You would say, okay, I have faith in God. Okay, faith it's kind of like the confident assurance. But in Greek, the word faith and belief, they're the exact same word, except the word belief is the action form. It is the action verb of faith. That means belief is faith in action, faith demonstrated. And Jesus did not say only have faith. He said only believe. You are going to have to respond to what is available in Christ Jesus. You're going to have to take some steps. Now, why does Jesus say, do not be afraid and follow it with only believe? Here's why. Because fear and doubt are conjoined twins of satanic seeds. They always show up together. Fear and doubt always show up together. And by the way, if you're a person that lives in doubt before God, that's not a healthy place to live. God isn't afraid of your doubts, but he wants to bring you out of your doubts. Matter of fact, James 1 tells us that a person who's filled with doubt or, or, or coming to God should actually reject doubt. It says, but let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of a sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded and unstable in all his ways. Listen, he is saying, listen, you don't need to be a person that is praying in doubt. Well, God, I, I know that you can, but I doubt that you will. But let, let, let's bring it home. I know that you'll do it for the ruler of the synagogue, but come on. Me? I'm just an unclean woman with no power, no influence. And yet Jesus demonstrates first that he's willing to touch those of no reputation so that those who have a reputation could let go of their reputation so that they could take on his reputation. 
can't live in doubt. Here's, here's what I mean. Contrary winds will always try to blow you into doubt, but stay rooted in Jesus and in his word. Contrary winds always blow. You know there's a little wind blowing right now. There's some winds blowing in culture. There's some winds blowing in this nation. There's some winds blowing globally. There's a wind every person in here has felt blow past their wallet called inflation. Oh, and you felt the wind of inflation. And believe me, the wind of inflation is blowing. And that's my four cents. I'm going to wake you up with math if I have to. <laughs> Here's my point. My point is, is that winds of inflation start to blow, but are you going to believe that my God shall supply all of my need according to his riches and glory, that he will have me? I'm still going to return the tithe. I'm still going to give to missions. I'm still going to take care of the poor and needy, and I will have enough for every good work in the name of Jesus. Listen, you can either give in to the wind or you can follow the wind of God's spirit by saying, I am going to believe what what he has declared over my life. Notice what Isaiah 41.10 says. It says, fear not, for I'm with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. Don't you, don't you love this? He says, you're not going to have to hold yourself up. I will uphold you. Somebody today needs to hear that. You're almost ready to fall. You're almost ready to give up. You're almost ready to give in. You're almost ready to cheat. Don't do it. I didn't say that in first service, so I know it's somebody in here. <laughs> don't do it. You say, I don't know, I feel so weak. Oh, yeah, but there's a word that says only believe that I'm the God that will uphold you. I'm the God. You say, I feel weak. I'm the God who will strengthen you. You say, well, I don't feel that. It doesn't matter what you feel. It matters that you only believe. And what does it look like when somebody begins to believe the truth? They start to walk it out. Well, I feel weak, but God said he's going to uphold me, so I'm going to be strong enough to do everything that he's called me to do. I'm going to be strengthened enough to do it. Now listen, this instruction comes right after Jairus got a terrible report. What's the report? Your daughter is dead. I don't know if you have ever been in a traumatic moment where news of a situation seemed to pull the very life out of you. We have been in those moments. If there was ever a time where Jairus could give the excuse 
of being, of being weak, of being fearful, of not believing, it would be on the heels of this report. They show up and say, your daughter has died. If we were to bring that into the, the, the real wor world, if you've ever lost someone really close to you, you know what it's like. And the danger of our culture is to not receive what Jesus says in the moments of negative reports. Can you imagine if Jesus was walking around in 2022, someone just gives a report that someone has died? And he says to them, don't fear, only believe. That person is going to say, oh, okay, I'm going straight to Twitter. I cannot believe, this guy thinks he's a savior and he's over here telling me not to be afraid. My daughter just died. I've got reasons. Or maybe there's a reason why he spoke after the report. Because he knew there would be coming a day where people would get a report and they needed a word that followed the report. I love this. Isaiah 53, where we get much of our theology about healing that was provided through the cross. Isaiah 53, by his stripes we are healed. The very first verse says this. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Do you hear that? Isaiah 53, 1. Who has revealed, has believed our report? God is saying, listen, I know the report. I know the things that are going on in your life. But that report did not come from me. There are times when you have to look at the reality of what you are facing. And I say, that is the reality. But the truth is what God reveals in his word. And so what I'm going to do in this moment is I'm going to stand on what God has revealed in his word. Mark 11, 22 through 24 kind of gives us a, a glimpse of what it looks like to literally believe. It says this, have faith in God. If you say unto this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea and don't doubt in your heart, but believe those things that he says will be done. He will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. This is what it looks like. The report is there. The mountain is there. The, 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 the reality of the situation is there, but there is a power that supersedes. It. it comes from Jesus and his word. He says, listen, you need to believe that you receive and you will have it. You've got to believe that you receive and you will have it. And sometimes you have to look at that mountain and speak to it and say, Jesus, I need you to come into this room. This is who our God is. And the last thing that I want to highlight to you is your position to know Christ as the giver of supernatural life is this. You're going to have to trust his word. It's not enough to have, you know, have this belief that causes you to kind of move. You're going to have to trust. And trusting his word is, 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 is about a process. 
He says to Jairus, and she will be made whole. She will be made well. Luke 8.50. Trust says yes through the process. Trust says yes to the process. Have you guys ever, um, have you ever, ever in life seen that like people with like struggles seem to be magnets for each other? You know, there's like, they just draw in the wrong people into their life. And you can see it, but they can't see it. Why? Because those people make me feel comfortable because they're just like me. Here in this moment, when you are in process, when you're saying, I need the supernatural life of God, you do not need another version of you showing up. You do not need somebody to come alongside of you and simply pat you on the back and say, woe is you. I don't need somebody to just, 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 to, just to get me, oh man, well, you know, it's, you're just meant to live in that addiction, you're meant to live in that disease, you're meant to live in that brokenness, you're meant to be broken from relationship to relationship to relationship to relationship, that's just the way it's going to be. No, you don't need somebody coming alongside of you saying, wow, you know, all right, we need our support group for broken people, you know, hi, I'm a broken person. I've been broken for so many years. No, what do we need? We need somebody who will come in, who will silence all those voices. Oh, I love what Jesus did. Here's this process, and Jairus is walking with Jesus and the crowd behind, and I can only imagine that as they were approaching the house, the sounds of weeping and wailing filled the air. You have to understand, Jairus hasn't been there yet. He just has a report. And now he hears sounds that match the report. And he's walking into this moment of weeping and wailing. And Jesus says, only believe she will be made well. I love what Jesus does. Luke 8, 51 says, and when he came into the house, he permitted no one to go in except Peter, James, and John, uh, and the father and mother of the girl. Now look at this. Now all wept and mourned for her. But he said, do not weep, she is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him, knowing that she was dead, and he put them all outside. Now, this is where, if you're reading this, just, you're like, okay, why did he say that? Why did he say, she's not dead, she's only sleeping? Here's why. Because if he had gone into the house without saying anything and raised her from the dead and brought her out in the presence of those people, they would have said, oh, she wasn't dead. She was only sleeping. So he says, oh, no, she's not dead. She's only sleeping. 
And by the way, notice what happens. These people who are crying and they are weeping and they are wailing, it says in the New King James here, it says that they began to ridicule him. The word in the Greek is this. They laughed in scorn. So one moment they're, oh, oh, pastor, we're so sorry for your daughter. Oh, and Jesus said, hey, none of that. She's just sleeping. They go from, ah, (laughs) and they begin to laugh. You know what that did? It exposed the hypocrisy in them. It exposed the hypocrisy. Matter of fact, in this culture, when someone who was a ruler had someone die, the culture was, we're going to hire mourners. And the more people crying out loud, the more people wailing will actually say that the value of the life that was lost was high. So the weeping and the wailing was fake. The weeping and the wailing was just going along with what culture said was normal. And Jesus comes in this moment and breaks up their fake cry party. Jesus comes and, and he, he, he breaks up all of this, this, this attitude of, oh, this is the right thing to do. And he exposes it. He says, oh, she's only sleeping. And when they begin to laugh and ridicule him, he put the voices out. Listen. Some of you have some situations in your life that you need to excuse some voices from that, those situations. You have got to let them out. They have no business influencing you. All they are going to give you is what is culturally normal. And I'm here to tell you that Christ has come to convert the culture into the kingdom of God. He wants to come in power and bring change. You don't just need a voice that says, oh, this is normal. I don't know if you've noticed, but normal is sending this world to hell apart from Christ. We need a Christ who brings conversion. And he expelled the voices. Tears one second, laughter the next. They're playing the part of mourner, but they were truly scorners. Don't let fake people rob you of a genuine encounter with the life of Jesus. Come on, there'll be plenty of people who come alongside of you who begin to see your religious zeal, the fact that you're walking with Jesus, and they just want to say, no, 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 you don't need that much Jesus. You don't need that much God. You don't need to live in revival. Come on, just get back into culture with us. Just get back into the normal flow of things with us. And it is time that people in the church say, I am getting that voice out. Why? Because I need a miracle they can't produce. I need a miracle that only God could work. Don't let fake people rob you of a genuine encounter with God. I love what happens. This is really the whole reason I've shared all of this up to this point. Jesus 
for the second time in a few minutes, breaks rabbinical tradition. First, from being touched by a woman with issue of blood. Second, when he reaches down and touches the dead body. See, he reached down and he took the dead girl by the hand. Again, any rabbi who does that becomes what? ceremonially unclean but I'm here to tell you when Jesus shows up in your life you need to understand this you live in an age where now the clean when it touches the unclean the unclean becomes clean this is the age where we're not we're not going to be ones who are simply man we go into the world and now we're just influenced by the world influenced by the culture influenced by sin no i'm going to walk in what christ said i'm the light of the world a city on a hill which can't be hidden i'm not here to let unclean things influence the clean i'm here as a representative of christ saying he has made me clean and everything i touch is likely to become clean so he reaches down and touches this dead girl on the hand. Listen to me, church. Most of us have thought ourselves Jairus in this story. However, most people in this room are the girl. Where there are some things that won't be helped apart from the supernatural life flowing from Jesus' touch. It will be only the touch of Jesus that brings us into what he has for us. I love this. He says, little girl, arise. You say, well, as a man, that's hard to identify with. I understand that. But biblically, sometimes you got to get out your skirt. It's a long, flowing, white wedding dress. You're called a bride, men. I'm just trying to help you a little bit. All the men who said, I, don't, I can't identify, all the women are going, oh, this is so beautiful. Men are like, whatever. Come on, get your wedding dress out, gentlemen. It's widely acceptable these days. Lord, forgive me. <laughs> Sometimes we have to say, okay, I'm the bride of Christ, and as the bride, there are some dead areas that I need him to come and touch. I need some life. How do you know? How do you know this has happened for you? First, she gets up. She gets up. And then what? Stands to her feet. Not only does she sit up in the bed, but she stands to her feet. And the most significant sign that God's life has come back to you are in the final instructions of Christ about the girl. He says, give her something to eat. Why? Because her hunger has returned. 
some of you in here today, the reason you've been thinking, well, I really need this miracle for somebody else. I want to know, are you standing to your feet and are you hungry for the things of God? If not, you might still be in the bed in need of a touch of God. You see, when the touch of God comes, suddenly there becomes a hunger for the things of God. Suddenly there becomes a hunger for the kingdom of God and the power of God and the righteousness of God and the word of God and the love of God and the power of God. A hunger returns. Church, I'm convinced in this hour where culture thinks the church is dead, Jesus has come to his house again and says, oh, she's not dead. She's just sleeping. She's not dead. She's not ineffective. She's just sleeping. Watch this world. Little girl, arise. Little girl, arise. And a resurrection power and life comes and changes you. You stand to your feet and you get hungry for the things of God and suddenly you go from being dead one moment to an influence for the kingdom of God. Jesus, the giver of supernatural life, is coming to you in whatever state and saying, little girl, arise.